All right, if you are able, go ahead and please stand as we read God's word together this morning. Like Jason said, we're in John 15, starting in verse 1, right there at the beginning. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me and make and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends, and if you do what I command you, no longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what the master is doing, but I have called you friends, for all that I have heard from my Father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, But I chose you and appointed you so that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you so that you will love one another. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning again, Westside. We're glad that you're here. Um, I don't normally do this, but I would just like to go to the Lord in a word of prayer. And just uh, pray that our hearts and minds would be attentive to uh, God's word today. So would you pray with me this morning? Father God, we come before you. Um, We are very needy. There are very many things that uh, fill this room of urgent requests, heaviness on the hearts and minds of your people. But God, we know that you are good and we know that you hear our prayers. God, we know that your word never returns void to you that what we are about to embark on is a supernatural thing, that the words that we have just heard are oracles directly from your mouth, that we have heard from God today. So God, make our minds and our hearts attentive and alert to what you would have for us. God, hide me behind your cross and fill me with your spirit. We ask this all in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Well, hey, we're continuing in our vision series called Axioms. And what we're doing is we're learning these uh, profound truths. Um, An axiom is a statement or a sentence um, of great importance. And, And what these statements and sentences are is they are summaries of the way in which Jesus viewed the world around him. So oftentimes we will say we need to live like Jesus or be like Jesus. And one of the sayings we say here is um, what we believe determines how we behave. And so in order to live like Jesus, we need to believe some things that 
that Jesus believed. And, and we're hoping that this language really sticks and, and just becomes a part of our family language here. That um, maybe you're having a text conversation or a cup of coffee with someone. And, and these are sort of conversation starters or handles for you to express maybe the emotions into what God is doing in your life. And the first thing that we learned about was this word kairos. Um, which means in, in, in Mark chapter 1, Jesus says, um, the time is at hand. And, and there's a number of words that Jesus could have used for the word time. Uh, chronos, where we get the word chronological, he could have used that, but he used the word kairos. And, and what we're defining kairos as is this, being aware of God's activity in my life. That's very simply what it means. So, so maybe um, an event happened at work. Maybe you've been praying for something uh, for your boss or a relationship there. And uh, you go home and your wife or your husband asks, you know, how was the day? And you can say, man, I had a Kairos moment today. I was aware of God's activity in my life. Which leads us to the first axiom that we learned about, which was this. Um, that we know that God is always present and at work in our life. Always Constantly, there is not a second, minute, hour, or day of the week that God is not doing something in your life. But the difference is, is whether we are aware of that or not. So God is always present and at work. And then the second axiom that we learned is this, one of my favorites, that um, God is like Jesus. So that we don't have to ask, well, I wonder what God is like um, when we turn to the pages in the scriptures and in the gospels, we see literally God in the flesh and God saying that I am like that, that God is like Jesus. And then the third axiom was this, is that God meets us in reality in our everyday life. Now we come with a right expectation saying that God is going to meet us um, just on a day like today in a gathering or something like that. Or maybe we're on vacation or we're in the deer woods or something. And we know, boy, God meets me there. Yes and amen. Uh, God doesn't just meet us on Sunday, though. What we're learning as disciples is that God wants to meet us on Monday. Amen. And Tuesday and Wednesday and every day of our life that God meets us in reality. But listen. God doesn't meet us where we pretend to be, where we pretend to be. And so we're learning this idea of honesty and, and transparency and, and getting past the sort of cliche, hey, how are you? Fine, right? But on the inside, there's a lot going on. God meets us in reality. And then last week, we got a lot of feedback on just the good news statement that God cares more about it than we do. That's just good news, that God cares more about it than we do. And so your job last week was to fill in the, what is it for you. If God cares more about it than we do, what, what was that? And just through conversations, it was uh, my marriage, uh, my job, relationship with my child, uh, all of those situations that God cares more about that than you do, and it's just good news. And today we are on axiom uh, number five, and maybe, maybe this will help us uh, today in our journey. I uh, moved my junior year of high school from Kennett to Columbia. 
uh, Missouri. And so it was a drastic move. I, there's maybe 500 kids in the Kennett uh, school system. And my graduating class um, in Columbia was 575 students. And the reason why I remember that was um, we had our graduation ceremony there um, at the Mizzou sort of arena. And the last student that graduated, his name was Jeff Zimmerman with a Z and everybody cheered and clapped because we were there for like 45 minutes while everybody just sort of read names and so you always get the question hey what are you going to do you know what's next what's next I had no idea what was next and so I had a good friend David who was going to Columbia College on a soccer scholarship David was born in Bogota, Columbia he was a phenomenal soccer player and so me and David were good friends and so I thought well, I'll just go where David's going, right? And so I enrolled at Columbia College. Um, a, I, I didn't know that it was a private college, which meant that you had to test um, a certain number um, on your ACTs in order to get in. And I barely tested. I, I tested a 22 in order to get in. And that was uh, an academic probation in order to get in. So here I am, enrolled in college, um, haven't had a single class yet, and I'm already on academic probation. So this is going great, right? This is going great. And um, I went to some of my classes because I found out that they don't take attendance in college. I thought that was great um, until semester rolls around, and then they actually do take attendance, okay? But my English class, uh, and so I was majoring um, in communications, and I you know, wanted to go in and be a teacher. And so my English class I really enjoyed because I had a phenomenal professor. She was great. And we had a final, uh, our final for the semester was due. And what we had to do was, it was a two-part. You had to give an oral presentation about any subject, topic of your choice. And then you had to present uh, that oral presentation in a written paper. And so I woke up the day of the final, uh, realizing that the final was due. And so I um, winged it, if you will. And my topic of choice was a very um, profound, uh, very deep educational. Um, I did my oral presentation on the video game Halo, which had just came out at the time. And my uh, presentation was on the video game ratings because that was a hot button topic at the time. So I roll into class um, and stand up and give my oral argument and presentation about video game ratings. And then after the uh, presentation, uh, the, the teacher just said, I would like to stop and, and take a moment, and I would like for us to discuss um, Jason's oral presentation. And he hit all the marks here, here, and here, and that was fantastic. And so when I go to sit down, she goes, Jason, can you hand me um, your written paper? And I said, oh, yeah, I forgot to print it off this morning. Can I go to the library and print it off. She said, sure. So I quickly go to the library and type out a paper, okay, that had no footnotes, that was a joke. I mean, literally, I, I would have done better to not turn in a paper. And so I turn it in, I get an email later on that day, and the professor asked me to come by. And so I go by, I, I mean, I'll never forget this because it was a turning point of what happened later on. Um, were there, the, her office was sort of in the back of the room, and it was just this beautiful campus. And so she said, Jason, um, it's very apparent that 
you didn't write your paper. I mean, you, you did, but you didn't. There's no footnotes here. This is just a couple of pages. Um, but she said, Jason, you gave one of the best oral presentations that, that I've ever heard. And I've been watching you this semester. And, and I've watched, I'll never forget her words. I've watched a gradual, a gradual decline in you. I've watched you being very attentive uh, at the beginning of the year. I've also watched who you've been hanging around with and how often you've been skipping class. And then she said this, and I will never forget it. She said, Jason, in my classroom, you will not be able to get by on your strengths without doing the hard work. I was like, okay, right? I mean, she was just speaking truth. And she goes, so I'm going to give you a chance. I'm going to give you some grace. Um, if you turn in a written paper by the end of the week, I will not fail you. But you need to turn in the paper by the end of the week. And I think I only had a couple more days to do it. And so um, I didn't type the paper. would love to tell you that that was a redemptive moment for me. And I went and typed out the paper. And um, that didn't happen. Um, and so I did so well that they asked me not to come back for the second semester. And um, I'll never forget her words. I will never forget her words. Because you see, this is what I was trying to do. I was trying to get by and present something that I myself hadn't done the hard work in or gone through myself. Um, which leads us to axiom number five today, which is simply this. What God does through you, he also does in you. What God does through you, he also does in you. Now, here's what I mean by that. A lot of us have a prayer and, and a good desire in our heart to say things like, God, use me. God, use me. Now, which can be a dangerous phrase because God necessarily doesn't just, quote unquote, use people, right? He doesn't just use people and then throw it away. And he's not concerned about that just to accomplish his purposes. What God is interested in is doing something in us. And so, like, my generation is notorious for this. Like, you see people who've been married for, like, two years, and now they have a marriage podcast. Right? Let's go for five years and then maybe, you know, hold off on some. Or, um, you know, they've been saved for just a few years and now we're going to write a book about what it is to, to be a Christian. See, oftentimes what we think Christianity is, is simply just God using us. But in reality, what Christianity is, is God molding us and shaping us and forming us into the image of his son. And what that English professor told me was, was truth. It was gospel truth. And it was something I've never forgotten. It was, you can have two choices in life. You can either try to skirt by in your giftings and what you're good at and just do those things, or you can take the road of hard internal work and become a certain type of person. God always does something in us. Or to reverse the statement, we could say it this way. 
God will never do something through you that he hasn't first done in you. So listen, if, if you're somebody who wants to walk a road of, of leadership or serve or um, be a ministry leader, it's not about just doing something. It's about becoming someone. And the scriptures are filled with this. And you probably picked up with it in our passage today. John chapter 15 is probably one of my favorite chapters in all of the Bible. If I had to teach, if I had to get dropped into a context and nobody knew Jesus and they said, what is it to be a Christian and what is the Christian life? I would teach John chapter 15. Because it's Jesus' last night with his disciples and he's laying it all out. And he's saying, this is what it's like to be a follower of me. But there is a word and a phrase that's in our axiom statement that is filled in these verses. And I want you to see it today. Um, you can start in verse 4. Abide in me and I in you. Um, if the branch cannot bear by itself, but unless it abides in me, and then I abide in me. Verse 5, I'm the vine, you're the branches, whoever abides in, and I in. Verse 6, if anyone does not abide in, and then drop down. Verse 7, if you abide in my words. Um, the word in is used 13 times in 17 verses. Okay, so... So maybe sometimes you say, man, it's hard to read the Bible. It's hard to study the Bible. Listen, I'm a simple man. I love the jelly on the bottom shelf. If, if, if a word is used 13 times in 17 verses, God's probably trying to tell us something, right? The phrase in him, with him, by him in the New Testament is used 130 times. It is the primary phrase... It is the primary phrase that the New Testament writers use to describe your relationship with Jesus Christ. That you are in Jesus and Jesus is in you. Whenever Roman was a little guy and Courtney was teaching him about Jesus and prayer and all of those things, Courtney would always ask, where is Jesus? And he would point to his belly button and he would say, in here, right? In me, Jesus is in me. But what does that mean? Well, well, listen to some of these verses about what it means, not primarily for God to use us, but to form us. Colossians chapter 1. To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Galatians chapter 2, I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself up for me. And then Galatians chapter 4, and this is the Apostle Paul writing to a church, and this is the Apostle Paul's vision for ministry. Are you ready? This is it. It's not, um, you know, these business principles or this, that, and the other. What is a pastor's goal and vision for his people? And it's this. My little children, for whom I am again in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. In you. That is the goal. 
that Christ would be formed inside of us and that our life would be molded and formed and fashioned to be into the image of Jesus Christ. And so if this axiom is true, what God does through us, he first and always does in us, there is this flow in this passage that's beautiful once you see it. Jesus says some things about um, him abiding in us, and then when he is abiding in us, some things flow out of us. And he uses the illustration just, Jesus was the greatest teacher that ever lived, right? The greatest teacher that ever lived. And he would always use sort of these agrarian illustrations because he was in a small farming town. And so people would be like, hey, Jesus, what's the kingdom of God like? And he would go, you know what the kingdom of God is like? It's like a farmer who's got these seeds. And today he uses the illustration of the vine and the branches, which Israel and and his disciples would have known exactly what he was talking about. That, That God is the vine dresser, the pruner, that Jesus is the vine and that we are the branches and that when we're connected with Jesus, that our life bears fruit. So what are some things that God does in us in order to do through us? And the first thing that I see is this. When Jesus' words are in me, prayer flows through me. When Jesus' words are in me, prayer flows through me. Look at what Jesus says right there in verse 7. Jump up to verse 6. If anyone does not abide in me, He's thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. Verse 7, here it is. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Right? Like all I did was just rename verse 7 for the first point, right? Jesus is saying that when my words are in you, that um, there's an asking that takes place. And it's very simple to understand. And we think that it's got to be way more difficult than that, right? Way more difficult. If you go into a Christian bookstore um, and you ask and say, hey, where are your books and helps on prayer? I mean, it's going to be one of the largest sections in the entire place. And if there's anything that sort of crawls off the table when it comes to our discipleship, it is the consistency of prayer. And so what we do is we focus on prayer. And 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 so I'm going to focus on prayer because I'm focusing on prayer, right? And what Jesus says is, no, 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 no. Actually focus on my words. And what we understand his words to be is the totality of his teachings. But then not just the totality of his teachings. Because he says that in his teachings the totality of the Bible is about him. And he says this. Whatever you wish, ask. And it will be done for you. And so I always get like this tension. Like Jesus says that whatever I ask, you know, that he'll do. But I've been praying for this. But see, we're focused on the through me rather than the in me. And Jesus says, first and foremost, before the asking, my words abide in you. Um, Matthew Henry was first and foremost a pastor. 
and he was um, such a pastor, he was a scholar, and he wrote a commentary on the entire Bible, Matthew Henry's commentary. It's one of my favorite commentaries. You can probably buy it at a yard sale or something like that. Listen, if you ever come across a set of that, buy it for yourself. He was a pastor who loved his people and wanted his people to understand the Bible. And so what he did to help his people is to literally write a whole commentary on the scriptures. And on this verse, he says these words. Note, those that abide in Christ as their hearts delight shall have through Christ their hearts desire. Let me say that again. Those that abide in Christ as their heart's desire, a delight, shall have through Christ their heart's desire. The promises abiding in us lie ready to be turned into prayer. And the prayers so regulated cannot but speed to him. Here's what he's saying. Don't focus on, quote unquote, God not answering those specific prayers and going to verse 7 and saying, Jesus, you said whatever I asked, you would give. What he is saying is focus on your heart's delight. Focus on your heart's delight. What are the desires of your heart? Because that will be revealed in prayer. And so if you want to have a prayer life and if you want to have God use you in prayer, it's all about getting Jesus's words in you. Or to say it a very simple way, what Jesus is saying is this. Whatever's inside of you is going to come outside of you. Plain and simple. Whatever is inside of you will come outside of you. And what we think, I mean, just imagine if I had a glass of water on a table filled to the top, and I bump the table, what happens to the water that's in the glass? It spills out. Because whatever fills us will spill out of us. And one of the things that we've seen in the COVID pandemic and everything that's happening worldwide right now is a lot of things coming out of us that we were unaware that was inside of us. And what we like to do is we like to blame circumstances or this, that, and the other, and well, if they just, and he doesn't, and my boss, and see my marriage, and this, but in reality, when fear, and anxiety, and suffering, persecution, or anything like that come into our life, and bump the table, what's already inside of us spills outside of us. And so to put it this way, if we want God to use us greatly in prayer, we must invest deeply into the scriptures, deeply into the scriptures. That's why everything that we do at Westside revolves around that here. And we have, you can stop out at the Welcome Center, we have Bible reading plans, helps, this, that, and the other. But listen, at the end of the day, God is not going to do something through you that you don't allow him to do in you. And if Jesus' words are in me, prayer flows through me. The second thing that I see is this. When Jesus' love is in me, obedience flows through me. Continuing on, look at what he says. Verse 7, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Verse 8, by this my Father is glorified 
that you bear much fruit and so prove to me my disciples. Isn't that awesome? You know what Jesus is saying? This is how God is glorified in your life. This is how God is made much of in your life. When you are bearing that fruit, it can be fruits of the spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. It can be all of those things. It can be Christ-likeness. And Jesus is saying God gets so excited and so amped and jacked up whenever those things are in your life. And then he says this, verse 8. I'm sorry, verse 9. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. That's been the verse for me this week. Um, I always like to find something that's just for me. And meditating on that phrase, as the Father has loved me, so I love you. That is the eternal never-ending, no limitations, love that God the Father has for the Son, Jesus says, that's the same type of love that Jesus has for you. So what's the result of that? Is the result of that just to sit in the mornings with our cup of coffee and go, mm, 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 I am loved. Mm. I just feel loved and I'm feels and the feels because the feelings and the feels and it's all about the feelings, right? See, a lot of us have boiled Christianity down to just an experience and feelings. But Jesus says there's a result to that. Look at verse 10. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. Interesting. Love, then commandments. Listen, Westside, I will teach you this as long as I'm your pastor. That this is the gospel. The gospel is, is that we are loved and accepted in Christ. Therefore, we obey. We do not obey, and then we are loved and accepted. That is not the gospel. Jesus did not say, if you obey my commandments, then I will love you and you will prove to be my disciples. That is not the good news of Jesus Christ. And we see this all through the scriptures. I mean, even when God gave his top ten, right? When God gave Israel the ten commandments, the top ten, this is it. When did he give Israel the ten commandments? After he saved them out of Egypt. God saved them out of Egypt and said, now that I've saved you, now that you are my people, now live this way. It is always love and then commandments. It is always um, a relationship and then it is these ideas. Like what we think is this, and parents, this is a great um, thing to just sort of tuck away. Rules without relationship is always rebellion. Okay, so so if you want to do what I call slingshot parenting, which is just sort of creating rules and helicopter parenting and no, you can't and don't do that. And why are you? And it's just sort of pulling your kids back in a sling. And the moment that they are able and willing to leave your presence, they will let go and they are gone. Right. Because subliminally, what we're learning in that is 
Um, Dad only or mom only uh, says get a job rather than good job. Or it's always this or it's always that. Now, do our kids, you know, does the butter slide off their biscuit? Yes and amen, okay, right? But it's got to be a connection before there's ever correction. But, but I know what some of you are thinking when it comes to that idea that the same eternal love that the Father has had for the Son um, that Jesus has for you. I know. I saw this this week, and, and, and just maybe this will help. I want you to look at verse 9. Look at verse 9. So we're going to go to English class, okay? And so the professor that failed me would probably be very um, glad that I'm doing this right now. When you study the Bible, um, we have a very good English translation. And to, and to understand the meaning of something, Jesus says, um, I, so, so I, Jesus... I have um, the two personal pronouns in verse 9 are I and you. So Jesus is talking about his relationship with you. He says, I and then you. What's funny is um, if I were to ask you what is standing in between your relationship with Jesus, um, this is you right here. Let's just do this. Here you are. I took a couple pounds off some of us, so there you go. That's great, right? Um, that's you, and then that's Jesus. And if I were to ask you what's, what's standing in the way of your relationship with Jesus, you would probably just list a litany of things in that blank, wouldn't you? Um, it's this sin that I just can't get a grip on, or it's this, or it's that. Um, you know, it's I don't, and I'm... What does Jesus put in that blank in verse 9? I have, as the Father has loved me, so I love you. To say it this way, the only thing, please listen to me, the only thing standing in between you and Jesus in your relationship is love. It is love. Look at your Bible. It is right there. Jesus says the only thing between me and you is love. And we could fill that blank with a ton of things and say, Jason, I just don't believe that. And there's days where I don't believe that. But that's why we have to come to the scriptures and we have to preach to ourselves, and we have to remind ourselves that the only thing standing in between the relationship between me and Jesus is his love. And then he says, how do we show that? Well, verse 10, it's commandments. If you keep my commandments, right? Well, what are these commandments, Jason? I'm glad you asked. Um, drop down and look at verse 10. It's crazy. Verse 10. Um, this is my commandment. Wow, right? So Jesus goes, keep my commandments. Well, what are the commandments? Glad you asked. Um, verse 12. These are my commandments. That you love one another just as I have loved you. Any questions, anybody? You see, we make it so difficult. We make it so difficult. 
And if I hear another conversation about, well, I saw them post that, and I don't agree with that, and I just can't come there because I know that they believe, and it's like, like this is it? This is what we're doing now in 2020? When Jesus says, the love that you have received is the love that you also reciprocate to others. This is what it is. I love what one New Testament scholar says. The inhaling of undeserved divine love for ourselves and the exhaling of our all-too-human but still well-intended love for others, this is the breathing exercise that all disciples try to practice every day. Isn't that great? That every day our breathing exercise is breathing in the love of God found in Jesus Christ through the pages of Scripture. And then it is exhaling that love to other people. And it doesn't have to be this profound Last week, um, I had a story shared with me that there was somebody here in church and they were feeling down, they were feeling alone. Um, And somebody went and introduced themselves to that person because they knew that they were new. And then through a conversation, um, that church member um, just invited that person to lunch. Hey, come hang out at our house. And the individual began to cry. And said, I was just sitting here um, asking God and talking to God about being alone. That happened last Sunday right here. Listen, Westside, this is what it is. You see, God's never going to do something through you that he hasn't first done in you. And so this is the sentence. The love that we profess is proved in our practice of love towards others. And there is no better time. There is no better time than right now in this political climate with everything going on for you to love and to have a conversation with someone who disagrees with you politically and this, that, and the other. And, and, and listen, here's a profound concept. Did you know, did you know that you don't have to compromise your convictions in order to be compassionate? Mind-blowing, right? That you don't have, you can fundamentally disagree with the core of the way that somebody lives or what they believe and still be a loving person. Because all of us are created in the image and likeness of God. And all of us need that grace And listen, you know what I'm finding out? I thought that as a pastor, you were just supposed to preach that and everybody would agree and everybody would love to be a part of a church like that. That just everyone would be like, oh yeah, I love loving people who are different than me and believe different things. That's exactly what I've been looking for in a church family. But do you know what that does? Is it creates tension. And we don't like tension. We like our lives to just be nice, neat, and orderly, and easy. And now in this season, it is the church's time to be a band of diverse people who are bound together by the love of Jesus Christ. So listen, for some of us in here, um, obedience is like a dirty word. Submission to authority, obeying 
Some of us grew up with the background of, um, if I read, if I do, if I all this, then God's love for me is predicated upon my performance and obedience to him. And that is not the gospel. Listen, if there is a sin problem in your life, focus on the love of Jesus Christ. Focus on the love of Jesus Christ. So when Jesus' love is in me, obedience flows through me, and that commandment is to love one another. And then the last thing is this. When Jesus' joy is in me, joy flows through me. Isn't it interesting that Jesus says this is the goal? Look at verse 11. These things I've spoken to you. Hey, Jesus, why are you telling us these things? Glad you asked. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. I mean, we could meditate on that verse for a while. What joy? Whose joy? Um, Jesus' joy, not yours. And by the way, joy and peace are not found in a place. They are not found in a position. And yes, if you could get the, uh, the change in the job and then get that one and then the thing and all of that, yeah, that might help your life for sure. Yes and amen. But joy is not found in a place, uh, in a position, in our possessions, in any of that stuff. Joy is found in a person. And that person is Jesus Christ. And then no matter what happens to our circumstances, listen, I have been in hospital rooms where people were hooked up to IVs and there were things getting ready to happen and they were getting ready to get wheeled in past those doors and then there's something about watching somebody go past those doors where you feel so alone and so afraid. I have been in those moments. I have been at a graveside where that mama was burying that baby and it was far too soon to do something like that and I have been at the hospital whenever the wreck happened and I have been in those moments and I have seen the joy and the peace of Jesus Christ flood a person's mind and soul that nothing else could do that that it is a supernatural thing and that it is only something like that that somebody grasps to when everything else is falling apart It is that joy. And so when that joy of Jesus is in us, it is the joy that comes out of us. And can we be honest? Like Christians are supposed to be winning in the joy category. We're supposed to be like the rah-rah, like we're supposed to be the joyous people. And a lot of Christians walk around look like they were baptized in lemon juice, man. Just joyful in the Lord, you know, right? I mean, I say this all the time. Some of the meanest people I've ever known in my life claim to be Christians. And we're supposed to have this joy thing down. And all of us are searching for it. I'll never forget where I was when I was reading a book by Pastor John Piper. Um, he was, had such a profound impact on my life that we named our third child uh, Piper, Piper Graham. She's named after John Piper and Billy Graham. A book called um, Desiring God, where he talked about the all of Christian life is a pursuit of joy. And he said these words, God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. That's it. 
that God is most glorified in us, that people see Jesus the most in us and through us when we are deeply satisfied in Jesus. And the question that I always ask us, Westside, to gauge whether we're a Christian or whether we're a disciple or not is this, do you love Christ? Do you love Jesus? Do you long for the day, oh man, I feel it in my bones sometimes, that we're going to get to physically see Jesus' face, that we're going to get to see him, that we're going to get to touch him, that we're going to be there for all eternity. Is that your heart's desire? Because when that joy is in you, it's that joy that flows through you. Listen, God will never do something through us that he hasn't first done in us. And in closing, I think this is helpful. Um, the date was April 14th, 1912. And that was when um, Leonardo DiCaprio was on the deck of the ship and the ship struck the iceberg. I can fly, right? Um, that's when the Titanic hit the iceberg. And everybody has always been fascinated, if you're a student of history, um, about what happened. Because it was supposed to be the height of human ingenuity and technology and all of this stuff and the tragedy. Um, it was an estimated 1,500 people died. And so um, historians have been researching and uh, looking at the Titanic to see what happened. Why did it sink? And there's a number of reasons, actually. The first one that most of them agree on is this, um, that the ship was going too fast that they wanted to get to their destination even quicker than what people realized. And so how could something that big travel that fast? So it was going too fast. And then the second one that all historians agree is that they cut cost on the construction. Now, they didn't cut cost in the cabins and the luxurious places and all of this and the high upper echelons on first class sections. They cut cost in the smelting of where the bolts and the steel plates on the ship would go and form the ship's hull. So when the iceberg struck the ship, they um, had cut cost on that steel and it just peeled it like a soda can. And when I read that, I thought of this. We always hear the story of Somebody that we thought loved or, oh, I can't believe they did that or what happened. I think for a majority of Christians, many of us are going too fast in a pace of life. That is just unsustainable in the long run. And then secondly, we always want the quick fix. I meet with people all the time. Hey, um, do, you, do you have a book? Do you have a book that we could read for our marriage? Um, uh, you know, I've got this addiction, but like, I don't need to go off anywhere. Can we just like uh, meet for coffee or something like that? And we're cutting cost in the hard internal work. Because listen to this good news. God is more concerned about who you are becoming rather than what you're doing. God is far more concerned about the type of person that you are becoming rather than what you're doing. So in closing, I have two questions. The first one is this. 
Are you trying to make God work through you without allowing him to do the same work in you? So are you somebody who's always counseling others and, oh yeah, we can have a meeting and let's talk to you about your marriage, and do, but you're somebody who never sits under counseling yourself? Um, or are you somebody who's always in that quote-unquote leadership position to be up front and to have a microphone, but rather no mop, no serving, no submission yourself? That's a very dangerous place to be. Or are you the reverse? Are you happy for God to work in you, but resist allowing God to let that work flow through you to others? Oh, Jason, God is doing a great work in my life and he's doing this. Oh, that's awesome. You should get connected with so-and-so. Oh, no, 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 I don't, I don't wanna open up my life to others. Because the good news is this, is that what God does through us, he always first does in us. So who is God shaping you to be in this season in your life? Westside, let us stand to our feet and offer the words back to Jesus that he first put in us in the Lord's Prayer. Westside, let us lift our voices and pray to our Father. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Father, we come before you. Some of us in here are asking for you to work through us. God, I, I want to be a witness to my mom, my dad, my brother, my boss, my family. And what you're asking in return is, first, let me do this work inside of you. God, there are some of us in here who you are doing a great work in our hearts and in our minds profound truths but God we are resisting that you would work through us so Holy Spirit have your way with us and may we rest in this profound truth today that God you are more concerned about who we are becoming rather than what we are doing Holy Spirit have your way with us we pray this all in the holy and in the precious name of Jesus Christ Amen